Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. John Dukes here with us. He's a professor and interim chair of ecology and environmental studies at Florida Gulf Coast University. And we are going to talk about, um, well, we're going to talk about the environment, but other things too. Don, thanks for joining us here today on The Roy Green Show. Glad to join you. Thanks very much. So, Don, I, so of course, we're sort of all aware of it. Uh, I've been amazed, actually, at who, who hasn't been aware of this story, story the, the train derailment coming out of Ohio, and, 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 I mean, the images that you see. I mean, just to say that it looks like a bit of a mess is a pretty significant understatement. Um, can, can you talk about some of the, the, the environmental concerns that have been raised for not just for locals but officials as well and and and, and is this really you know making contact uh, with reality for people in the area sure well very dramatic images that's for sure and uh, some of the worst environmental disasters do not have that kind of dramatic imagery so you know mm. what is uh, telegenic isn't always what is most concerning but right. there's plenty of concern here that's for sure um, releasing of liquid chemicals from in the sort of amounts that are carried in a regular rail car is uh, just a great deal of toxic substance to be spilling into the environment at one point. So it's uh, it's certainly of concern. And, and, um, and we're talking about when this is toxic, you know, I like to use this uh, small T capital T, but this is, these are very toxic chemicals and very flammable. Right. Certainly highly, highly flammable, no question about that. Vinyl chloride uh, certainly is, and uh, potential for explosion as well. There are substances that, well, transverse the, the countries every day, um, the kind of things that we right. carry in rail cars and in pipelines and in trucks. Uh, you know, we wouldn't have our modern industrial society if we weren't moving chemicals in large quantities, and we do tend to forget about that, but uh, there are materials that are used for industrial purposes, they make the kind of products that we use all the time, and without them, we wouldn't have our, our current quality of life. But uh, an accidental release like this is certainly uh, potential for really important consequences. How how often, and I don't know if you followed this in your academic work or not, but how often in these kinds of situations do you, do do officials you know find that poor decisions were made? in the middle of a situation like this. It's easy for us on the outside to stand and say, hey, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do this? But I've, I've just finished reading a absolutely brilliant uh, book by uh, the historian and journalist Adam Higginbottom, uh, Midnight at Chernobyl. And it's astounding. You know, it's one of those where you think, wow, if, if half of this is true, we were just so close to so much worse. And I just wonder if that's been your experience as well. Sure. Well, you know, I don't work in emergency response very much. I study uh, natural environments and the kind of pollutants that we see every day in natural environments. So mm. the kind of what you can call a low probability, high consequence event like this is uh, something certainly that we plan for. And, you know, the kind of emergency response is something that Certainly, effort toward prevention uh, can make an enormous difference, just as planning to respond to a flood, which is uh, more like the sort of things that I normally do, or uh, an unexpected major consequence like this. Advanced planning can make a huge difference. So EPA and the other organizations that respond um, 
you know, have little time to think on their feet. So mm. we want them to have thought it out carefully ahead of time. Ahead of time, and right. They work scenarios like this all the time. And I know the, the railroads are instructed to do so. Um, small incremental improvements in that kind of advanced planning can make a huge difference at the time of a disaster. Um, but, you know, it's just really hard for every little town to sure. spend that kind of time and effort and to be prepared when it's, in fact, very unlikely. Any given town, uh, it's unlikely to see it in any of our lifetimes. But, you mm -hmm. know, when it does happen, uh, the biggest difference is how much preparedness there is on the ground at the railroads, on the, ground. the agencies. Well, as a, as a kid, uh, I talk about evacuating people. As a kid growing up, um, just uh, in, in, in the GTA, Greater Toronto Area, there was a train derailment, and and I would imagine many listeners from the area would know what I'm talking about, but the Mississauga train derailment, we could see the smoke for, you know, many miles or kilometers away, and, and it was a massive evacuation, and, and, and it's just, you know, it doesn't happen very often, right? But it's that, have, have you got the tools in your toolkit? Is there a... And I don't remember how well it was responded to back in the day because I was quite young. But are are there not sort of textbook approaches to these kinds of things, Don? Oh, certainly, yeah. Yeah, there are. Otherwise, it wouldn't have occurred. I mean, it was a surprise to me, but the planners expected very well. It would not have occurred to me to verify that the temperature inside those tank cars, uh, when one was increasing, that one of their responses would be to intentionally vent. You don't do that without a lot of advanced planning. And so that's what led to the dramatic imagery, of course. But um, being aware of, of what can get worse in those sort of circumstances, they work very quickly to do things like uh, shut off flow downstream to uh, try to avoid contamination of the soils to the extent they can, because removing after a soil contamination is so much harder than to control it at the outset. And so the fact of the intentional release, um, though it absolutely put harmful substances into the air, that was a choice that uh, that they had to make. And I'm sure that that was in somebody's playbook somewhere mm -hmm. that uh, we try to yeah. avoid such a thing. But if we have to, this is very much better than the alternative, the alternative being an explosion of that vinyl chloride. And that would have been so much worse. You know, we have a very little amount of time left here, Don, but are you, I mean, obviously you're concerned about these things across the board, but does, does, the, does the damage to the local environment over time recover? As a rule, it does. Some toxic substances, uh, some synthetic organic substances have half-lives of thousands of years, so it can take a really long time. Vinyl chloride, I understand, is more like a couple of years of half-life. Oh, okay. right. It can recover. Uh, the effort to do the cleanup is often a, a decades-long process because it just moves really slowly through the soils mm. and the groundwater. And so it can take some time. Uh, and in the meantime, you try to keep people away from exposure to these right. substances. Um, over time, it, it does tend to recover. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 